2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, wherein you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. For a little while this evening, I want to teach and preach on this, this thought, this subject, a more sure word. We have a more sure word. God bless you. you. May be seated. Amen. It's great to have all of our Chips kids with us this evening. They're trying to figure out which Sunday is on and which Sunday is in the sanctuary. But every first, third, and fifth Sunday, we're happy that Chips has relaunched on Wednesdays. I'm aware they're here with us. My son's in here. And I've already been informed that by someone that they're tired and preach quick. So the bar's been raised. Here we go, right? This is a Bible. Yours may look a little different. I'm not sure what translation you may... This, this is a Bible. It is 66 books split into two testaments. 39 books in the Old Testament. Three times nine is 27. 27 books in the... New Testament. The Bible was written over a period of about 1,500 years, ranging from about 1,400 years before Christ to about the end of the first century. Our Bible is written by at least 40 authors. They wrote on three different continents, and they wrote in three different languages. The King James Version of the Bible contains 783,137 words, 1,189 chapters, and 31,102 verses. Just so you understand, most of you do, chapters and verses were not a part of the original autographs of the biblical writers. They just wrote as they did in those languages, just one word right after another. But chapters were added in 1238, and complete verse division was finished along 1551. That is our Bible. Everybody say the Bible. Bible. What's the longest book in the Bible? Psalms with 150 chapters. What's the longest chapter? Psalms 119 with 176 verses. And when that's on your Bible reading for the day, you just sit down and plan to stay a while. The longest verse in the Bible is Esther 8 and 9, 78 words. Amen? The shortest book in the Bible by number of words is 3 John. The shortest chapter is Psalms 117, which is also the middle of the Bible. Shortest verse in the Bible, maybe you can quote it. What would it be? John eleven thirty five. 35. So my purpose tonight is, however, not to equip you for Bible trivia. In chips, they give you a prize, but for this evening, no prizes when you leave. But my purpose this evening is to remind all of us that our Bible, that this is the unique Word of God, to humanity, that the Bible is God's revelation of himself, that the Bible reveals God's plan for coming into a saving covenant relationship with him, and it tells us how to live a blessed life that pleases God. 
And if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we talked about Sunday, then we should also believe in the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's a good question for us to um, answer this evening. What do we believe about the Bible? We profess and hopefully we act that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What do we believe about His Word, the Scriptures, the Word of God, the Bible? All of those terms I may use uh, synonymously. So what do we believe? First of all, as Oneness Pentecostals, we believe that the Scriptures represent objective and absolute truth. When we read the Scriptures, we believe that this is the Word of God, and therefore it represents objective and absolute truth. As along those lines, and similarly, we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of Scriptures in the original manuscripts. That's a little bit of a theological term. What does that mean? And it simply means that we believe that every word and all of it is God-breathed. As Paul wrote Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what we believe as one is Pentecostals, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This means that we believe that in the original autographs of the biblical authors, that all, every, every word was God-breathed. Not just concepts, not just the meaning, but every word was breathed, God-breathed, inspired by God. Notice how Jesus, in his teaching in Matthew 5 and 18, the Sermon on the Mount, notice how Jesus uses the most minute markings of writings to emphasize the absoluteness of his word. Matthew 5 and 18, For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, which simply means like never. Right? You ever heard the term when hell freezes over? What does that mean? Never. Jesus is saying, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. That is the most minutia of writing, and Jesus says it matters and it will not fail. Paul and his writings focus on the very on one Old Testament word and made his argument based on the fact that it was singular and not plural to demonstrate that we are saved by faith in Jesus and not the works of the law. Galatians 3 and 16. Paul said, God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. So we believe that every word of the Bible emanated from God through divinely inspired authors. May say amen? amen? Having said all of that, here's what we do not believe. 
We do not believe as some extreme fundamentalists who, by the way, reject speaking in tongues and the Holy Spirit, so there's a lot we don't agree with them. We do not believe that these men's eyes rolled up in their head, they stiffened up, and they became a pencil in God's hand as he dictated on the autographs. We don't believe that's how God wrote his word. They were not robotic scribes. The biblical authors wrote with a variation of style. Their style reflects a diversity of temperament, culture, background, education. But what remains constant over 66 books written over 1,500 years by at least 40 authors is the inspiration of every word uh, by every author because the Bible reveals in its whole with precise consistently God's love for humanity and how you and I can be in relationship with him. That's what we believe when we talk about a more sure word of prophecy. Secondly, we believe in sola scriptura. What does that mean? It simply means that we believe that truth and salvation is found in the scriptures alone. That means when we read our Bibles, we begin with the presupposition that all of it is relevant and all of it is authoritative. We don't pick and choose through the, what, that which is written in red. We don't cast away acts. We don't ignore revelation and we don't abandon the Old Testament. We believe that all of it is authoritative and instructive for being in a right relationship for God, with God. We believe the Old Testament is the foundation of the New Testament. And Jesus and the apostles clearly accepted the Old Testament as the word of God. Luke 24 and 44, Jesus said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Those were the three divisions of the, uh, the Hebrew Bible, that, that what we would call the Old Testament. Jesus said that it must be fulfilled by all of the Old Testament. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures so when you say you believe the Bible, you, then, then according to Jesus, you have to believe and accept the Old Testament as God's truth and God's word. Paul in Galatians 3 and 24 wrote that the law or the Old Testament was our tutor to bring us to Jesus Christ. So we don't disregard the Old Testament, but we recognize that in the old and the new, there is the centrality of the core biblical doctrine that there is one God declared in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament as Jesus Christ. We receive the scriptures as a whole and we believe that it is them alone that we find salvation and that we come to know who God is. As one is Pentecostals, thirdly, we believe that the doctrines and the practices of the New Testament church remain and are authoritative and they are normative for the church in the 21st century. That's why sometimes you hear the term and we use the term apostolic to describe ourselves. 
because we place preeminence upon the doctrines and the principles and the practice of the apostles. What does that mean? What that essentially means is that we choose what the apostles did. We choose what the apostles preached. And we choose that over evolving church tradition. And we choose that over cultural norms every single time. That's what being apostolic means. That we don't look to the Reformation for our doctrine. We don't look to the third century for our doctrine. We gladly leapfrog over all of the evolving traditions of religion. And we go back to the Bible. What did the apostles preach? What did the apostles do? That's authoritative. That's truth. That's the word of God. Amen. Amen. But don't misunderstand our confidence in the word of God. Our confidence in scripture is not a baseless leap of faith. It is not human fantasy, nor is it the acceptance of mythical musings. Our confidence in the Bible is firmly anchored in the validation of science and the validation of history and the fulfillment of prophecy and personal experience and the witness of the Spirit. Our confidence in the Bible is anchored in reality, in reason, in experience, in truth. Critics of the Bible have long pointed to supposed conflicts between the Bible and secular historical records. But a funny thing keeps happening as time keeps marching forward. The further we march forward and make archaeological discoveries, the more the Bible is vindicated and the more secular uh, historical documents are proved to be false or in error. This would include the existence of Nineveh, which they said was a myth. Well, no longer. This would include domesticated camels in Abraham's time, which they said was a myth. Well, no longer. This would include the official titles of leaders in the Roman Empire named by the Bible that they said did not reflect historical documents. But oh, now, so they do. It just is amazing that as time passes by, the Bible stands true and man's opinion does all of this, but the Bible stands true. Similarly, those superstitions and erroneous scientific concepts abounded and dominated in biblical times, the Bible never contradicts true science. That includes creation and flood accounts. It includes the life-sustaining role of blood in the heart. It includes the laws of their dynamics, all, all affirmed by the Holy Scriptures, even when every myth and every philosophy and the brilliant of the brightest and the brightest of the brilliant said otherwise, the Bible stands true and never contradicts true signs. And even though in our day there is a rabid devotion to Darwinism that dominates and influences science and the funding of science, the more research advances in the fields of geology and chemistry and physics and biology, the more the Bible continues to be validated and the principles and the theories that oppose Scripture begin to fall by the wayside or they just retool them and, and say something different. 
we haven't even talked about uh, prophecy yet because the Bible is filled with specific prophecies that have come to pass, such as the dispersion of the Jews, the successive empires of Babylon, Medo-Persian, Greece, and Rome. The Bible foretold it precisely. The destruction of the temple by Rome, the Bible foretold it precisely. And that is merely a taste compared to the over 300 Old Testament prophecies about Jesus Christ that are interwoven throughout those passages, such as him being born in Bethlehem, which required the edict of a world-ruling empire to ever make happen. The betrayal by a friend for 30 pieces of silver, that was foretold by the Old Testament. The crucifixion, him being pierced, was foretold by the Old Testament. We have a more sure word. Josh McDowell cites the work of Peter Stoner, and Peter Stoner calculated that the chance that one man could fulfill all of these prophecies was one in 100 quadrillion, which is 10 to the 17th power, and your calculator can't even show all of that. Stoner then proposed this visual picture of those odds. You may have heard this before. You could take 100 quadrillion silver dollars and you could lay them across the state of Texas, all 268,580 square miles, four and a half times larger than the state of Georgia, and you could stack those 100 quadrillion silver dollars two feet deep over every square inch of Texas. Got it? And one. But there's more, because you could mark one of those silver dollars, and then you could, with divine hands, scramble it all up across the state of Texas. You could then blindfold an enthusiastic volunteer, and you could tell them they can go anywhere they like across Texas, but they can only pick one silver dollar out of the 100 quadrillion two feet deep silver dollars across the state. And that's how difficult it would be for one person to fulfill the 300 prophecies of the Old Testament. We have a more sure word. And if history and if science and if prophecy isn't enough, our confidence in God's word is anchored in our own personal experience and the witness of the spirit. We have, in fact, whosoever wills can have, we have experienced the promises of Jesus Christ and the preaching of the apostles because many of us in this room and joining us online, we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit and we have spoke in a language that we have never learned just like the Bible said we could. Many of us in this place and joining us online, we have experienced and we have witnessed the miracles that Jesus said would follow them that believe in Mark 16 and 17, these signs will follow them. Believe in my name, they will cast out demons seen and done. In my name, they will speak with new tongues seen and done. They will take up serpents. No, haven't done that. 
But I have seen divine, miraculous intervention when walking through a swamp with a friend working and seeing in slow motion a moccasin come out with the mouth wide open. I saw it. Time froze as my friend miraculously leapt up and with a machete came straight down, beheading such a beast. And we gave glory to God in that swamp. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. Haven't tried that, but if someone else has tried, it didn't work. I'm still here. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Been seen it, experienced it, a living testimony. We have a more sure word. Amen. So without hesitation, we believe that the Holy Scriptures were given by the inspiration of God. We believe that the Bible represents objective and absolute truth. And we believe that the Word of God is the final authority in our lives. So let's return back to our text. Peter is writing to the churches of the New Testament just prior to his death. His purpose is clear. We see that in this first chapter of 2 Peter verse 10. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your election, your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them and be established in the present truth. And then in verse 16, Peter writes this, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying, my writings and the writings of every apostle, these are not fables and these are not myths. We were eyewitnesses. We heard it and we saw it and we experienced it firsthand. Verse 19, Peter continues, we have also a more sure word, a prophecy. We were eyewitnesses. We heard it. We saw it. We saw Jesus affirm the Old Testament as truth. We experienced it for ourselves. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereinto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arising in your heart, arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, 
but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Peter's words to those believers in the first century remain relevant and authoritative for us as 21st century disciples. We must practice our profession of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do so by taking heed to a more sure word of prophecy, the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. This should not surprise us that we should take heed. Peter's words simply mirror what Jesus himself taught in multiple settings, but specifically notice at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, Jesus says this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Same circumstances. The rain descended, the flood came, the winds blew, and it beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Tonight, I've simply come to remind good people that we have a more sure word of God. We have a sure word of prophecy. We have truth. And if we do, and since we do, let's take heed to it. Let's believe it. Let's read it. Let's memorize it. Let's obey it. Let's faithfully apply it to our lives. We have a more sure word. Psalms 119 and 11, David said, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin or might not sin against you. In verse 105, he said, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In chapter 19 and verse 10, that 19th Psalm, David said, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. We have a more sure word. So having a more sure word this evening, whether you're in on the, the, the heights of victory or you're in the valley of a trial, wherever you are circumstantially, emotionally, and physically this evening, we have a sure word. And if we have this sure word, why don't we choose to just stand on the promises of that word? Why don't we just build our life on the unshakable foundation of that word? For it is this word that declares where God said through Isaiah, you will keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Been a little troubled, been a little disturbed. Why don't you stand upon the sure word? And why don't you quote that sure word? Great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee for he trusts in you. What about the author of Hebrews who declared, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Yeah, I know the neighbors bought a new car and those people moved and, 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 and they took a vacation and he got a pay raise and she's wearing a new dress and they went to eat at um, uh, um, Outback and we only went to Taco Bell and, and it's always... You know, it's always, always more, more, more. And it's just, I need to work a little harder. I need to save more. I need to hold back. Why don't you just build your life on a more sure word? Be content knowing that he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What about Paul to the Romans when he said, what then shall we say to these things? Whatever these things are to you, if God is for us, who can be against us? Why don't you stand on that foundation? Or Paul writing to the Philippians when he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me on my worst day when I am the dumbest, weakest, most messed up human being on my worst day. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. What about later when he told them, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You're not too far gone. Your need's not too big. If he can put a coin in a fish's mouth, make it swim to a spot, tell Peter to drop his line, if that fish bites that hook, that hook cuts, that fish stays on the hook. Peter gets the fish in it's a coin and it's just enough. My God can supply all your need. What about Paul writing this to the Corinthians? Because on our worst day, and even when death lies at the doorstep, Paul said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. I don't know about you, but I have a more sure word. I believe it. I receive it. I accept it. I obey it. I stand upon it. It is a foundation that is unshakable. Through every challenge of life, in every celebration of life, through every valley, through every victory, through every trial, and in every blessing, we have a more sure word of prophecy. If you're able, please stand. So I just came this evening to preach to people who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
according to the scriptures. And if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then we should believe on his word. And we could spend a series, and there's incredible resources that are apologetics that can take on every critic and, and every cynical skeptic. And God's word stands true, especially over the course of time. But in the here and now of our lives and your life, what are you going to do with his word? Because ultimately, our practice has to match our profession. We have to take heed unto a more sure word. We have to make our calling and election sure. We have to build our lives by hearing and doing on an unshakable rock, a foundation that can, will never fail. And any other way is nothing but sand. And no matter how you dress it up, paint it up, slick it up, if your life is not built on the authority of the scriptures, there is a storm coming and it's going to sweep you away and all will be ruined. But when you build your life on the sure word of God, when you submit to the authority of the word, when you quit playing your own, being your own God, trying to be your own pastor, trying to decipher your own version of truth, and you just accept the Bible and submit to it, you are building your life on something that will never fail you. And you are unlocking every promise. You can do bumper stickers. You can put it on your car tag. You can wear it around your neck. But if you don't obey it, those promises aren't for you. But when you take heed to a sure word, every promise is yours.